And I love one of the companies is actually bringing the guard force personnel and saying, okay, guard, external guard company, we're going to pick the top 10 performers and we're going to integrate them into our multi-capable protective personnel. Welcome to the Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Removing the title security from our vernacular and keeping the risk manager and unified protector. What an interesting but perhaps controversial topic. I'm here with a guest uh, intro outro moderator today, Mr. Chris Story. We are live at the IPSB in Las Vegas. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, uh, fellow. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. Well, it's great to catch you here, and I know you're very busy. You've been running an excellent show. Uh, you, you, you've really put a lot of thought into the content. Um, we, we, we can have a look uh, a little bit at that, but what do you think about the idea of the unified protector? Has that come up much today? Uh, not necessarily, and I think the reason, like you said, it's somewhat controversial is it, you have to own your profession first before you can add to ancillary pieces, and I think, you know, uh, the discussion about being a specialist versus a generalist, that's that unified person. Um, I think most protectors, at least in our space, want to be specialists first and then understand the other ancillary connected pieces that's to being that specialist so they can go, hey, you know, that's not my, my expertise, that's this person. And so I don't think they're, I don't think that we really have an understanding of a person who's got the mastery of the, all the tactical hard skills that are needed and then those other soft skills from a complete risk management privacy um, you know, privacy expert, uh, cyber expert, you know, and uh, uh, a protector. And, and, and that is a good point because, you know, sometimes a complaint about the security industry is that we go from specialist to generalist, mm -hmm. um, whereas maybe a doctor goes from generalist to specialist. Yep. Um, but I guess if someone could figure that out, and that's where Bruce McIndoe is going to, you know, go in today's uh, podcast, it, you know, it could be useful, I suppose, like uh, the Universal Soldier, that uh, 1980s, right. uh, 90s movie. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that might be like a, a, a like a unicorn, right? Like utopia, but nobody's ever seen it happen. And, and, and nobody could ever make one happen unless you, you know, you maybe attach something to a, to a horse's head. But it would be excellent if we could do that. But I think the security industry is so broad. And now you wanted to remove security from it. But, it, but risk management at large is so broad, it would be difficult for anyone to be a specialist in all of those areas. So even if you looked at risk man, a risk management specialist, they're not a specialist in, in uh, EP or physical security or cyber or privacy or financial risk. They're, they're, they understand what those risks might be and then they know who to go to for the appropriate risk treatment. That is a good point. That, that who you're going to call strategy that we've talked about so often uh, right, before. Right, right. Now, but, but before we get into it with Bruce, I'd be interested in uh, your flavor on the IPSB this year. It's grown so much. And because you're on as a guest uh, moderator, I think we've absolutely got to ask you how it's been. So I would love to say uh, how it's been, but, but I represent the presenter. So, I mean, for me, I think it's been awesome. I, I think that you know, we see our growth, we've met our growth goals. 
Um, everybody I've talked to has been very, very happy with they're an attendee, a vendor or a sponsor. Um, but as we as we put it on, my question is for people like you know people go, hey, how did your how did your uh, uh, conference go? My question is, how did yours go? Because at the end of the day, it's about you know about the industry, by the industry, for the attendees, for the sponsors, for everybody else. So from my perspective, it went great. We had a couple of hiccups, but uh, I think as Ivor says, if uh, if nobody sees that you messed up, then it's maybe not as a mistake. You know, but as we take accountability, um, we've got some uh, more growing to do and some other things to do. But overall, a fantastic uh, conference, uh, record growth and record attendees. And the crazy thing is, is that there's a significant amount of new people here. Not new to the industry, just new to the conference. And as somebody told me today, uh, this is rapidly becoming not the conference that you think about going to, but the conference that you can't miss. Absolutely, yeah, and a lovely British contingent here today as well. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm from the UK, so I'm going to uh, single that out. No, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but Brits, um, uh, Netherlands, we have folks from Germany. Uh, Germany, we've got folks from New Zealand, we've got folks from China. Mexico. Yep, Mexico. So uh, definitely an international uh, flavor here at the International uh, Protective Security Boards Conference. All right, well, let's then get into it with Bruce McIndoe and look at the Unified Protector. Hey, you, who knows, in one country it might suddenly spur an idea and it might suddenly uh, be a possibility, but I'm sure there's much more nuance to the debate which Bruce will elaborate on. So, this is removing the term security from our organizational vernacular with Bruce McIndoe. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Removing the term security from our organizational vernacular. Today, I'm honored to meet with Bruce McIndoe, founder iJet World Aware and President McIndoe at Risk Advisory. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So this 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 term, uh, this concept of removing the word security from our vernacular, it might seem a little bit either out there or uh, you know forward thinking, whichever you know. It gets people's attention. It does. It gets people's attention. So what problem are we trying to solve here? What is our objective? The problem that we're trying to solve is a very large problem in we have too many disciplines what i call protective services disciplines in their tribe with their tribal identities in their stovepipes not working together not synchronized and not creating value for the organization and they're all struggling to do that and so my you know this removing security actually came from attending a couple of uh, conferences and the OSAC meeting where people actually talked about removing security from their business card. Right? Okay. And, I, and so when you think about that, it's like, that's a pretty big thing, right? <laughs> that they're going to toss security out the window for how they're delivering value at a senior level for their organization, whether it's resilience, protective services, global asset protection, but it's not security. Okay, so a bold mission statement, and I think that's probably piqued a lot of protectors' interest. Um, wh what about uh, you? Where, where does your passion for this uh, come from? 
So my background, it was 14 years in the intelligence community and, uh, and having some interface with the industrial base through that. And then starting iJet in 1999 and delivering uh, indication and warning and kind of operational intelligence to, you know, I don't know, the global 3000 through its 20-year uh, history, right? And in that, actually working with senior executives to apply intelligence for decision support and operational risk management. That's my background. So I've been involved in hundreds of programs, and I've seen the challenges that organiza organizations have in trying to get all of these disciplines to actually work together, and we're still not there. Okay, still not there. So for the uninitiated, because, you know, everyone's working in security, hopefully listening to this, but the uninitiated who hasn't really considered whether or not security as a term is a plus, a negative, something that will sell, something that won't sell, what, what, should, what should they better understand? So just this simple thing, say the word security, in your mind, you may know what you mean, but you know what? It's in the mind of the receiver as to what it means. Security, is it cybersecurity? Is it physical security, personnel security? law enforcement, you know, what does that mean to the recipient? If you start throwing out the word security in any context, unless you, pre you know, say physical security, they're not going to know precisely what you're talking about. What does a chief security officer mean to a board member? Well, they would think probably it's cybersecurity, right? That's what they worry about, not physical security. So, so it's it's a very overloaded word in the sense of if you're trying to communicate and the receiver and the sender aren't matched, you're going to have misunderstanding, and that's that's a problem, right? And it's also a problem because it also carries a lot of baggage. Well, yeah, and I, I can imagine it's it's probably a challenge for a solo operator trying to sell their EP services, for example if they just went up and said, all right, I'm providing security. Well, they wouldn't do that. It wouldn't sell very well. So they have well, to- uh, So have it's to interesting. Think so, so for a protective services professional, security is all those things. It needs to be all those things. They need to be cross-trained and cross-aware in information security, right? They need to be personnel security is their bread and butter, right? People, you know, the personnel piece of this, but also physical security, right? So actually they are what I would, if, they're a, if they are a, a, a top-notch executive protection professional, they are what I call a multi-capable protective personnel in this model because they already understand that they've got to protect not only communications and information and the laptops and devices and everything that that principal is using, but also the person and then the physical aspects of their security around the detail and what they're doing. So they're already covering a lot of this ground, but not at the macro for the organization, strictly for that key asset. And, and that would probably gel with a, a number of other episodes we've done on, you know, specifically cyber skills that perhaps mm -hmm. the protector can can have without becoming a, a developer. Right. No, no need maybe to be a developer, but to right. actually know who to call and why to call them or, or and the, and the essential elements of it. Exactly. Right. 
So, so, so this, um, this idea of taking security from the title or from our vernacular, it, it seems to have a bit of a zeitgeist, and it seems to have really, you know, piqued your interest, piqued my interest. Um, <laughs> what, what about some of the structures underpinning it? Um, you know, is is this uh, the the logical conclusion of ESRM? Uh, where 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 could we sort of piece it together? So it ESRM is a symptom, not a solution. Okay. So and so for example, enterprise security risk management. As a practitioner of risk management, right? ISO 31,000 and and that world, it that terminology is nonsensical. Enterprise security is a risk mitigation strategy. So how do I have enterprise risk mitigation strategy of risk risk management? It's just it's a, it's 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 a it's alphabet word soup, right? So so but it's an attempt of the physical security profession to become more valuable to the organization and to senior management, just like business continuity suddenly snapped their fingers and now their business resilience, because that seems bigger and more important and more strategic, right? But 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 actually, are we are we are we not uh, misselling it in, a, in a, you know that that that's probably a good move for a uh, corporate security practitioner to 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 give that uh, aura of more and, uh, and 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 bigger empires? Surely, absolutely, surely and, that's a good and, thing for them. It, it may be a good thing for them, but it's not a good thing for the organization, right? It's just it's trying to like whose stovepipe is bigger, whose stovepipe is more important of these tribal identities, whether it's business continuity, emergency management, physical security, cybersecurity. They have their own certifications. They have their own language. Everybody's vying for money and position. And I'm saying we have to stop that. We have to come together as an agile workforce to be in what I call the certainty management business, right? What does that mean? That means that our job as protective services personnel is to ensure the certainty that the organization can meet the objectives that they've put out in front of them and are trying to achieve. So we are going to protect the elements of people, supply, facilities and information, the key assets, so that that organization has a high probability of achieving the objective that they're trying to create with those assets and, and business processes, right? So that's, and, it, and when you look at risk management, it is all about the certainty or the, in the, in the standard, the uncertainty, right, uh, of, uh, of, of achieving your objective. And so, where all this starts is back to the beginning. And that's what we call objective-centric risk management. That is, I don't want a risk register at the board level that's just a dump of risks and heat maps. We call that list-based risk management. And what, there's no context. Objective-centric risk management says no. What are the key objectives for the organization that is set forth by the board, agreed to by management to execute and achieve? And then we need to take each of those objectives and say, holistically, what are the risks 
that could prevent us from achieving that objective across the entire risk domain. And our job as protective services lies squarely in the in operational risk domain, not financial risk, reputational risk, you know, what, you know, other areas of the company, you know, enterprise risk management. So if we're going to do that, then all of these disciplines should be coming together to do a 360 risk assessment and mitigation strategy and ultimately cost to, to ensure the highest level of confidence that operational risk is not going to impact the achievement of that objective. At the board level now, you can see the objective, you can see what the operational risks are and what we're spending to mitigate and achieve that. And the person that's making that decision is the business owner of that objective. We're just at telling them, here's what we see. Here's the mitigation. Here's the residual risk. Are you willing to accept that or not? Or do you want to spend more money and try to minimize residual risk? It's a business discussion at the highest level of creating value and ensuring that they can or help ensure that they can achieve that objective. That's where it all starts. And 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 so if if I am not a top board speaking leader and mm -hmm. and I am and actually sure. uh, I run a small protection service. Sure. How can I make use of this cuz is it is it actually quite attractive a framework for me because if it's all objective centric then I can directly communicate, for example, with travel risk management, objective centric policyholder setter. I'm just making a very long name for them. But 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 mm -hmm. is, is it even better in that context? So what it what it does, what what we've been working through is how do you link all of these disparate activities and, and get them, what, where's the value focus? The value focus is on the business objectives, the organizational objectives, as we put it, right? So, so for a protective personnel, again, we talk about all these as protective services, whether it's environmental health and safety or business continuity or some variation of security, right? All of that comes together and personnel security is, a, is one of the key four pillars. And what personnel from a risk management perspective are the most critical for the achievement of those objectives are naturally the most senior executives, right? So that's a very hardened role where that protective services is now executive protection, right? But wouldn't wouldn't it also make the life easier of anyone trying to supply a service? Because instead of everybody going to the board and saying, oh, board, please, can you free up some money? And, and they go, well, who's it responsible? It's the head of travel risk management or global no, security. So that does not happen. The only person that's going to the board in, in authorizing budget for mitigation strategies around risk for the achievement of the objective is the business owner of that objective. Which is which what is what we're doing is we're going to that business owner. We're going to the business owner with this integrated risk assessment and, and informing them of our concerns, 
informing them of what intrinsic capability we have in our infrastructure, what new things that we need to address and what that cost would be. And most importantly, what do we see as the residual risk after all this either ongoing spend or new spend? And is that risk acceptable to the business owner, i.e. appetite, right? Mm. And if it is, then they carry that forward with that budget and say, this is what I need to ensure the certainty that this objective can be met, right? Or they come back and negotiate and work through that residual risk and look at other transfer mechanisms other than you know, mitigation, or it is mitigation, but other things, insurance or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, it's the business owner that's responsible for that objective that's carrying that torch, not everybody running the cyber guys, the physical security guys, the business continuity guys, trying to vie for attention at that level. We are all working together as an integrated joint team. And, and so could, there, could, could we say this is devolved decision-making as opposed to someone saying, I am at the top of my ivory tower and I make all decisions and I give you whatever breadcrumbs I want this this devolves the budget this devolves the business operations it takes the overall objectives for the organization that are de determined by the board decomposes that down to what business personnel have responsibility for the achievement of that objective that group coming to the operational risk management protective services professionals and saying how can you help me ensure from an operational risk perspective that I'm going to be able to achieve this objective? And how That's... do you think this is being received? Because it, it, it sounds like it, it, it sounds great. It sounds like it would absolutely make things more streamlined. But how is this uh, being received? That's my passion right now, because I see it at the board and internal audit and enterprise risk management, like I'm engaged in, you know, risk and insurance management society, RIMS, and I see those discussions and what they're trying to do to get away from list-based uh, enterprise risk registers and heat maps, throw that stuff out, and, and actually look at risk in the context of the certainty of meeting the organizational objectives. That's what they're talking about. Then I look at these broader industries, whether it's protective services in any corner, whether it's cyber, physical, personnel, whatever it is. And I see all of the activity that's going on and saying, time out. We need to align and come together as an integrated you know, force, like a combat force, like a joint mission to help this organization ensure the certainty that they can achieve their objectives. And we're going to work with those owners of the objectives to do that in a thoughtful, professional, multidisciplinary way, not as competing and non-synchronized you know, synchronized tribal stovepipes. Have you seen any good examples of this in practice or is this basically your, your mission at the moment? So it's my mission and I'm very fortunate right now to be working with two large organizations that are actually embracing this not only from the objective-centric risk management, which is kind of the heart of it, but also in this concept now of converging these disciplines into a collection of personnel called multi 
capable, protective personnel. So it's like, okay, I have, you know, my background is in physical security or my background is in executive protection. I'm going to learn enough about cybersecurity and information asset protection, information protection within the scope of my personnel protective world. But I also am going to learn about environmental health and safety. And I, I can guarantee you a lot of EP people now know a lot about viral protection and, and, and pandemics and all things that they never thought they'd be worried about, right? So all of these dimensions of what does it mean to protecting the people asset? Right now, they're largely focused on the most senior, but those skill sets are the same, whether it's a regional vice president or business you know, operations person or even at rank and file. But at the end of the day, that concept of multi-capable is incredibly important for them to understand more holistically how do they protect that asset? And that goes for people, that goes for supply chain, that goes for facilities and information. For example, the weakest link to information asset protection are people. So cyber security people need to be versed in behavioral threat and behavioral activities and, and the physical aspects of humans and their frailty in gaining access to our systems, right? Those two things need to work together. So, so where are we going to find the, uh, you know, flexible uh, or adaptable uh, staff? <laughs> agile. agile. Well, not agile, because agile has a whole connotation from agile compute and things like that. But, you know, you know like... <laughs> I, I well, we call it, the reason we say multi-capable. Yes, multi-capable. All we're saying is, look, I'm a protective professional, and I'm going to start to learn and become multi-dimensional, multi-capable, and I create more value for myself within the organization. So, so to to to, to think in you know for a solo operator out there, maybe someone mm -hmm. new, are we are we saying that they need to learn the ropes in their own discipline somewhere? and be great somewhere at that. And then they can join this multidisciplinary team when they've mm -hmm. had additional training. So my take, you know, again, this is 40 years, both in intelligence community and in corporate and industrial base, right? In order to be a premier executive protection person, you have to know about taking care of that individual from a health and safety. You have to know about taking care of that person around external physical threats to that individual. And you need to be able to manage the information asset protection of what that person is carrying and doing and saying. And all of those dimensions are part of that job now. And they need to be deeper and more involved in that. And the more they become upskilled in those adjacent areas, the more valuable they're going to be to the organization, potentially either up or or broadly uh, to the organization, because they're going to be multi-dimensional. So, so, so sort of less dream team and more, uh, you know, commando. <laughs> like everybody mm -hmm. is 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 a cyber expert. Everybody is a fire and health and safety expert. Everybody is, uh, you know, sort of a close protection. "Quote unquote knuckle dragger." Like, is that the vision? 
so that is the vision. And in fact, the uh, U.S. DOD has actually taken this on as what they call agile combat employment. Okay. And what they're saying is if I take multi-capable personnel into battle, then I can be more agile in the true sense of the word when I need those people to do things, they are capable of shifting and morphing and dealing with the then current requirement versus I'm only a bomb loader and I'm gonna sit on my butt until we have need to load bombs. So, so so let's g2 g5 uh j2 right (laughs) but not even j2 just well i'm just saying it's a joint structure absolutely but but in my mind it's it's not joint because it's air force oh i see what you're saying yes as far as the personnel capable right yeah it would be it would be just g and then everyone would be a g top g yeah and and if i need g2 then they'll go do intel right if i need g3 they'll go run over there right exactly which would be i suppose more more uh think about as an ep person if my ceo and he travels twice a year but we need an ep detail what are they doing the rest of the time that's good yeah now they have multi-dimensional they can aid and support more broadly in other areas where they have interest and expertise and then bring that to bear plus when they're called to duty to provide EP for the annual board meeting and Davos. And and some of the EP community leaders who people know and love, uh, they often say, uh, don't be a job snob, which I think is really good for uh, you know new professionals, but mm-hmm. maybe for seasoned professionals. Um, and, and actually, one of the areas that has been explored, especially on this uh, podcast, is that y- you can work in Intel, especially over the last three years when travel wasn't possible. A lot of people found mm-hmm. themselves offering Intel as a service. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, it's not, uh, you know, boots on the ground, but it's but it's still a service. Um, what, what kind and, of and I, and I would say from my experience with yeah. a lot of EP professionals, they are incredibly intrinsically capable around behavioral risk okay they are that's it's just the nature of their business when you're out for have a protectee you know you're always evaluating kind of body language and you know acting you know, what people are doing how they're acting what they're carrying you're very observant and you're very in tune with those behavioral indicators right and so when you think about, you know, insider risk and behavioral threat assessment, these are natural things that, you know what, these would be great skills to hone, to bring to a detail when you actually are out in the field, right? But you can add value to the organization by identifying people that are having, you know, mental health challenges or other, you know, aggressions or grievances or whatever they're, you know, demonstrating, you're, you're a great resource to help with that. Right. Yeah, and and especially with uh, challenging economic times, uh, there's obviously some uh, good uh, business for you know EP, and there's mm-hmm. other places where it's not so good. Being able to add more uh, value, I think, as a value-added security reseller, which is maybe what some people have become, is is mm-hmm. quite important. Mm-hmm. What then exciting new facets do you think prof- providers of protection are going to find themselves? offering are 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 we going to see them 
knowing about robots. I know I get fan mail every time I mention robots, but you know what? I know this is a bit of a futurology soundbite session, but what do you think they're going to be offering that they're not offering now? So there are, I believe that if I am a people protection professional, that I can broaden that to not only protection of that asset, but also the asset itself, right? What is the risk of that asset to others, to the organization, And right? So it's the, it goes both ways. We think only of it as kind of risk to the asset, but the asset can be a risk to the organization, right? I mean, where was the behavioral threat assessment and executive protection of, of you know, these people that do toward things to companies? You know, we just saw what happened in the crypto community, right? So so I'm just saying as I one area, I think, is this broader capability to, to have that expertise around people and people protection both ways, right? but also broadening that aperture to not just the most senior people. And can you take that skill set and broaden it for what organizations are dealing with broadly that end up with aggression, grievance, violence, right? Workplace violence and all those kinds of things. So that's one area. The other area that is, you, you say it's futuristic, it's coming like a freight train. We will see 10%, 20%, 40% of jobs displaced by robotics and AI in combination, okay? What are companies gonna deal with when they start displacing people at scale with technology? You think you're gonna have a lot of people that are, have grievances? Yes. So that's like a whole nother. So now you've got managers and plant supervisors and all those people that need people protection services because they're gonna have a lot of angry people when they lay off 1500 people out of a factory because they're revamping it with automation, yeah, right? Even, and even that's in the coming news. in the years ahead, not decades. It, even in the news today, I don't know if you read, uh, there's uh, a bunch of university professors that are actually inclined to award an AI generated uh, essay, quite a good mark, uh, even mm -hmm. though it's completely AI. Generative AI, sure. <laughs> yeah, which, yeah, which is which is crazy. Um, so I guess I guess where does this then leave us? Where you know how could people get involved? What should they uh, observe to see this in action? Um, are there are there any new symposia coming out? New papers? New new talks? Things that they should look at? So what I'm in the small circle right now that I'm operating in that are starting to see this, how it actually is a vertically kind of unified architecture, right? From objectives all the way down to actually, you know, generating risk assessment and then actually delivering on it, right? So that, so people are seeing that in these different elements. What I've been doing is trying to bring a lot of these cross silo from, in, you know, risk and insurance management and business continuity and so I'm speaking at like Continuity Insights, for example, and talking about some of this uh, in, in that, in that uh, venue. So anyway, so really it's a matter of coming together and starting to bring this together. And I think the people that, and, and again, I come back to, you know, pr protective personnel, 
at the heart of it are, are exactly the kind of people that we're talking about. They just, you know, yes, they might need to learn a little bit about business continuity. They already know about crisis management and emergency management at a visceral level. Well, now doing it at a more practicum level. But, you know, as they become more multi-capable, they're going to become more valuable, right? As companies try to now steer and do this. And and the other outcome of this is if I have a joint force and I can make them fungible, I'll use that term instead of agile, if I can make them fungible, then I can actually do more with the same resources or I can accomplish the current mission with less because that downtime and that and those you know periods of time when I'm not focusing on business continuity, I can shift those resources to whatever else I need to do, right? So that's part of when I'm at the working at these larger companies are looking at by having this unified workforce around the mission, I can accomplish more with the resources I have. And I get cross training, I get, you know, redundancy so that, you know, I don't, I have, you know, multi-level capabilities and business continuity in the workforce. And I love one of the companies is actually bringing the guard force personnel and saying, okay, guard, external guard company, we're going to pick the top 10 performers and we're going to integrate them into our multi-capable protective personnel and ultimately look to bring them in and hire them. So they're building kind of this grassroots capability and also keeping that guard force engaged and seeing a future versus just coming in and then, you know, constantly turning over, they can actually see a future up and into the organization. So it's, so it's a really, I'm feeling, you know, excited about it. I'm passionate about it. Uh, it's, it's a really tough problem because you have all these silos and different, in completely different worlds coming together. Uh, but I do see the end point as being quite productive for everyone. Well, it's 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 a bold mission, but <laughs> but I think a worthwhile mission uh in, in in the in the end. And and I think I think it's great that you 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 get to be a part of it uh you know in its sort of spear, uh tip of the spear. Um so uh Bruce, how how should people get in touch with you if they they what they want to say hello, they want to find out more? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn, you know, I've got, I don't know, 10,000 people on my, you know, followers right now. And um, I, I put a lot of stuff out there, food for thought, things that we're thinking about. Uh, we have, a, there's a operation, uh, op, objective centric risk management group on LinkedIn as well for that, if you're interested in that particular area. And uh, and we're going to be coming together with a, with a team of kind of like-minded individuals that are going to help shape this over the next year. Uh, so yeah, I would say LinkedIn or Bruce at MacIndoRiskAdvisory.com. And if you have passion and interest, we'd be love to have you involved. And, um, and I'm starting here with these professionals that you largely communicate with because I've seen them. They are already multidimensional. They just need to up, upscale beyond, you know, you know, just focusing on that principle. 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they love to hear that. Uh, we obviously um, are great fans of theirs and, and champions. <laughs> so, um, yes, uh, I, I really I really appreciate that. Well, uh, yeah. Bruce, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, removing the term security from our vernacular and objective centric security, I think a very interesting and worthwhile topic for the protector of today. So this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Well, thank you very much, Bruce, for an excellent session. You know, it is a tough ask to look at the unified soldier, you know, the, 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 the one protector that can morph between uh, logistics and intelligence and uh, communications, like, like maybe in the future soldier program in the Army. Um, but I am back with our guest uh, moderator, uh, Mr. Chris Story. We are still at the IPSB in Las Vegas. Uh, how was that for you, Chris? So... I I thought it was great. I mean, I think I think I think it's something we should work towards. I'm not entirely confident that everybody owns all of the space as of yet because I mean, look, cyber's new, right? I don't care who, where you are, who you are. Cyber's new. Privacy's new. OSINT is new. Um, you know, from a risk management standpoint, nobody's going to be able to own all of it. Uh, but I think what will happen is is you know, some people own pieces of it and they'll own cyber and privacy or cyber and OSINT or OSINT, you know, et cetera. And then it'll be that who you're going to call when you kind of run out of capability or capacity to own those pieces. Indeed. And and, and, and so that will that will be a very interesting blend, especially when we're looking at uh, the EP professional. However, since we have you here still and since we are outside the IPSB 2022, um, I know you said we can't ask you how the event was for you because you just say it back at us. But, <laughs> but, but what have some highlights been? What about topics and speakers? Uh, what's been happening? Please, can you give people a flavor? Yeah, I think so. First off, I think the, just the fact that we had to spread out so far geographically, you know, uh, from a footprint perspective to accommodate all the attendees, that, that was number one. Number two, at the risk of repeating myself, there were points that I could look across the room and not recognize anybody in the space, which is fantastic. Um, I said earlier to somebody that if we took the people from the last three years and took the repeat offenders out and, and put everybody in a room, we'd be at 2,200 people, you know, because uh, the great thing about this, we got the growth and some, a lot of corporate teams couldn't travel, right, due to COVID restrictions or, or, or preparing for the, uh, the, the, the recession. So that's the biggest piece that stood out to me and then the other piece is is that the professionalism of, of the professionalism of the industry where we're going the attendees to the fairly high level uh, presentations and the excellent questions everybody's interested and everybody wants to see the industry move forward so it's a pretty fantastic time I've I've really enjoyed it and even even now on the end of the second day I've been bumping into new people fans of the podcast that's always encouraging I'm sure you get that with conversations mm. in close protection yes. um, someone said I know your voice I'm like my voice <laughs> that is surely not mine but um, it's it's lovely to sort of uh, put the face to the name isn't it yeah absolutely I mean that that's a great piece about it is that you know. We're able to connect here. The networking is phenomenal, right? You're able to connect with people that you meet on LinkedIn, that you've seen on Zoom calls, that you've heard on podcasts, right? And you're like, oh, where do we know each other from? And, you know, my, my usually go-to is, I don't know, have you ever been to prison? And that's a great icebreaker. But but realistically, right, it's, it's you're making all these virtual, reconnecting uh, where we used to have to do it virtually. Now it's in person. Now we're putting faces to names. Now we're putting uh, voices to faces, you know, as you said. So, yeah, it's pretty fantastic. 
And I do hope uh, that uh, on the 26th of January there will be an additional uh, member of the speaker faculty in London. I hope so too. What are you, what are you talking about? It'll be you. Yeah, yes, yes. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, so you may not have uh, known this fellow, but uh, actually 2020, I was like, you know, I'm going to go to the CP forum in person, right? And uh, I made the goal and then we got shut down. And I'm like, okay, well, I gotta wait, I gotta wait, and then uh, and then you invited me, so I'm very, very excited to do so uh, next year, as it were, or literally a month from now, and and uh, I can't wait, I can't wait to be involved. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Well, thanks very much, and it's lovely to sort of catch you, impromptu, just here at the Westgate, uh, just to, to give you a flavour. Things are moving, people are networking, and the presentations are still ongoing. So uh, we 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 very much enjoyed being here, and. Very, very uh, honoured to have you uh, intro and outro our session today with Bruce McIndo and that uh, unified protector, which could be the end point of a lot of conversations. The end goal could be a one singular person or not. Anyway, hot topic, but we'll leave it there. Thanks very much. This has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.